Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast at UT Belfast. We hope you enjoy as you join with us on Sunday mornings and listen in as we seek to inspire our church and the people of our city to encounter Jesus and just love it with the biggest heart of compassion possible. Hey church, this morning we are continuing our journey through Ephesians. Uh, as part of our collection of talks, Fresh Humanity. Uh, this morning we really kick off the second half of Ephesians, Ephesians 4-6, to uh, which it very clearly gives us an amazing practical outworking on how to live in this fresh humanity. So I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1-10 to in the NLT, and it says this. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Well, good morning. Okay, I'm going to go again. Good morning. It's just for me. It, hel- it helps up here, you know, because I, I do know there are people behind those masks that it's just a little bit of a voice. Um, this morning we're going to continue, obviously, with this, but um, before we kick off, I, I want to take you back to the 17-year-old Stephen. 17-year-old Stephen was working in the hospitality industry. And I know when you mention that at the moment, it's all a bit sort of up in the air, but um, usually at Christmas, around about this time, people are, well, they've planned their Christmas dinners, the corporate events and all of those things. Well, 17-year-old Stephen was doing his A-levels and he had the worst job ever. Like, if you want the worst job ever to try and do your A-levels and actually do them well and succeed, you become what I did. I was a bar waiter uh, for corporate events over Christmas. This is what it meant. 
I went in, um, I arrived there about six o'clock in the evening and left and arrived home about four, five o'clock in the morning and then went into school to do my A-levels. Yeah, no, not good. Um, I just blame it on my parents. You know, they should have known better. Um, but the thing is, I went in and so the corporate events are going on. Now, the hotel that we were in were, no, well, it was the top hotel at the time and no, the top corporate events. And I can remember as a 17-year-old watching these people coming in, pull up in their big cars, and, you know, and, and I'm thinking, this is all incredible. And they're coming in in their tuxedos and their gowns, and you get to smell the wealth in the air, you know. And I would watch, and they would walk with such class. They would walk with such professionalism. And then they would get in and realize that the bar was free, and then it would change. You see, when the bar's free with a corporate dinner, where you once would have ordered a glass of wine, well, you order a crate, don't you? When the bar's free, well, not me personally, but you know what I mean. You guys, you blitzers out there. And so, but you order, no, it's a vodka and coke. It's, well, it's a bottle of vodka and coke. It's, no, just fly me a plane from Russia and fill it with vodka. And, and, and it's, people just take advantage. And so I, over the night, watched these professional managers of one of the top companies in Belfast at the time. I'm being very careful here, not to blow the whistle. And, and they went from these professionals making speeches, you know, thanks and enjoying and, and all of those things to lunatics. They started dancing on the tables. You, know, you had the 60-year-old guy with a dicky bow in the air, swinging it around, dancing with a 19-year-old on the table and trying to pull the waitresses up. Uh, yeah, it makes me sick as well. And, and, and you had you know, the, the women who were there in their frocks and gowns looking so fantastic. By the end of the night, were lying in a corner in a heap as three people sort of tried to trail them into a taxi. Something changed. And they became under the influence, let's put it like that, so as we come into this passage, we want to be reminded that Paul reminds us that we're under the influence, that there are influences out there that are trying to take away from the people that God has called us to be. Well, he talks about, no, it's political powers, it's spiritual realms, it's, it's things around us and above us that ultimately want to take us away from God's plan for our lives. Now, little me, the, the waiter in the room, is thinking, well, I was thinking a few things, if I'm being honest. I'm thinking, boy, I'm going to do so well with tips tonight. Because drunk people tip big, don't they? No, it's like, son, just take the change. No, it's they hand all their notes into your hands. I was thinking that. But I was also thinking that the, the distance became very clear all of a sudden. There was very much two roles in the room. There were people who were being served and under the influence and there were people like me who were doing the serving. Now, why do I make that the point at this point? Well, as we go into this journey of Paul wanting to challenge us to live a certain way, it's important that we see that we come from the point of view that we're not coming to be people who are served by the influences of this world, but we're coming to serve on behalf of the kingdom of God. There is a distinct Difference if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. Whenever we read through the, the letter of Ephesians, there's this pattern and it's very clear that Paul is saying that God wants you and I to be two things. He wants us to be holy and he wants us to be unified. He wants us to be holy and he wants us to be unified. And what I've realized is those two things are really easy. 
not. They're, they're really easy. So what I figured out is holiness is really easy. If I live in a tree in the middle of a desert and never come into contact with any people, because people test my holiness. No? People test my life, yes. It's all easy to live a perfect holy life if you're never around people. It's also easy to be unified if nobody ever challenges you to change. No, it's easy to get on with everybody and everybody just accepts you as you are and everything's good until somebody says, well, actually, God calls us to something more. No, it's the truth and love stuff that Paul talks about. No, it's all good until somebody says, well, actually, you're called to maturity. And that's what we read in this. It's this sense of you're not meant to be like just a child. And the image is here of a child being tossed about in, in like an ocean because they get distracted, they get pulled away. No, there's this sense of, um, well, somebody comes along with this version of truth, you buy into it. Somebody else comes along with a different version of truth and you buy into it. Somebody else comes along and makes moves and maneuvers and influences and you move with it. When I was reading that, I was thinking of the, some of you guys will remember the Shankle wave maker up in the Shankle swimmers. Now, for those who don't know about this, definitely somebody out there should get sacked for allowing this to happen. What they did is they took kids, they threw them into this deep pool, and then they would be sitting there, and all of a sudden, the siren would go, and these waves would just go, and honestly, you just, just to survive, no, as an eight-year-old, to get out of that pool alive was just an accomplishment, and I remember it. It was just the scariest thing ever, but when you're eight, scary, nearly dying is all the way to go. But Paul said, don't be like that. Actually, as followers of Christ, we shouldn't be people who are trying to grab hold of something. We should be people who are standing on someone. That there should be a solidness and a solidity to who it is we are and who it is that we are worshiping, a maturity. So Paul wants us to get mature. And the first thing he says when it comes to this position of unity and, and pursuing peace and pursuing unity, he tells us to approach things like this. Be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Over the lockdown stuff, we have been celebrating frontline workers, haven't we? And we continue to do so. No, I genuinely, I'll keep saying it, we need to bring back Thursdays, no clapping NHS and anybody else that goes out there and keeps me safe and keeps you and your family safe. I think they need all the praise and celebration we can give them. But whenever I was thinking about frontline workers, they come in their uniform and they represent more than themselves. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, Think about the policeman. No, in the middle of the night, you hear a, a smash downstairs. And, and there you are, you hear, you know, there's somebody in the house that shouldn't be in the house. And, and when you're smart and you realize that I am not going down there, I'm going to phone a policeman to come and save the day. So you, you phone the policeman, the policeman arrives and he gets to the door and there's a guy standing there in front of him with a mask on holding your 50-inch TV. I imagine the policeman turns around and says, excuse me a minute, let me take the other side of the TV and help you to your car. You see, in that moment, we would look at that policeman and go, he is not worthy of his uniform. Who is this guy? I was thinking of the paramedic that you call. 
You see, whenever Paul's saying about come with humility, come with gentleness, come with patience, and come with love. So you are in the house, you take pains in your chest, you know it's not good, you phone the ambulance, the paramedic comes, and he comes to your door, and he has his bag. Now, they always come with the bags, the rucksacks, it's fancy stuff, they come with their, I don't know, their paddles and everything else, and they are coming in to rescue the day. Now, if you imagine they come to the point and they're sitting with their big green bag and you're lying there grasping your chest, you know things aren't good. And, and in that moment, instead of treating you out of their bag, they pulled, well, the opposite of humility, pride. Now, what would that look like? Well, if you're a paramedic, it would look like this. You know, I'm not going to treat you because you deserve everything you've got because obviously you're overweight. Obviously, you don't exercise. I see your cigarettes lying over there. And I just think you've brought this on yourself. That's what that looks like. What does it look like to come well, with the opposite of gentleness? Well, the opposite of gentleness is brutalness, brutality. And could you imagine, no, your paramedic coming in this life-saving, life-rescuing business, and you're lying on the ground, and he just goes, well... Just think it's a bit late. No, I'm just going to leave you lying there. Just don't think there's much I can do for you right now. And I'm just going to go and make myself a cup of tea. And well, we'll come back and collect the remains. Could you imagine? Could you imagine the opposite of love? Well, the opposite of agape love or selfish love or selfless love is self-love. And what that would look like would be the paramedic landing on the ground beside you and saying, well, you think you've got problems. No, you're grasping your chest. You're thinking you're on your way out. This is all over. And they're like, what do you hear about my world? And they sit down beside you and instead of helping you, they just tell you about all of the trouble that they're going through. No. Could you imagine if somebody turned up that way? Well, what we would say is they are not worthy of their uniform. They're not worthy of their calling. And not only would they let down themselves, but they'd let down everybody else that they represent. See, Paul, he wants us to live a life that is worthy. We are in the life-saving, life-bringing business. And when we turn up, it's important we come with humility, gentleness, patience, and love. And we come. The power of all of this is based in the power of love and the power of unity. Or as Paul writes, the power of one. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Because there is one body, there's one spirit. And just as you were called to one hope, when you were called by one Lord, through one faith, into one baptism, one God, one Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The power of one. Whenever I hear the word one, it's a strange one. For me, it takes me back to the first funeral that I ever did. 
and it was a member of our family, and well, he was sadly only 38 years of age, and they played this song at his funeral. And for honestly, as a pastor, it's an incredible thing. I have more songs ruined than anybody else. But this song is so powerful. And it was brought out when you two were in 1991 and the Iron Curtain had came down between East and West Germany. You two as a band had, well, they'd had some success. But what was happening is that they as a band and as individuals were actually falling apart. Their marriages were crumbling. The band was crumbling. They themselves were just like internally crumbling. And they started to sit in Berlin just thinking about what had happened and how the two nations had become one. And they started to write this song about, well, breakups. <laughs> this song about disunity that strangely has become the anthem for unity. But what was happening in their searching was this. They discovered that if they were ever to carry on as a band, that first of all, they needed to sort out what was going on in themselves. And that unity of anything doesn't start by looking at someone else. It starts by looking at yourself and myself. And the most chaotic people, the people who bring the most chaos and disunity, are people who are just overflowing the battle that's within them. That inside them, they are at war. They're at war with their identity. They're at war with who they are in God. They're at war with who they are in their purpose on this earth. They are at war with meaning. They are at war. They are at war. And people who are fractured inside will create disunity outside. And when we come to this pursuit of unity, we've got to start with me. Jesus in John 17, no, he was just about to be betrayed and go off and be crucified. And he prayed this prayer for, well, his church, the people at the time who were following him and the people who would ultimately follow him and that's you and that's me. And he prays this prayer that ultimately says this in John 17, verse 11. He says, Father, that they would be one just like you and I are one. And he had this high level and standard of what the church could look like. One, unified and at peace. When we unpack John 17, there's just so much in it. It's, it's another series, to be honest. It's another collection of talks. But in essence, there are a few things that we spot quickly when Jesus is saying, well, here's the, here's the relationship, father and son, and, and, and here's what I want you to emulate as a church. You see, father and son, well, they are committed to one cause, 
Jesus is all about fulfilling the works of the Father. They, they don't have two causes or two goals. They don't, no, they're not like four agendas. They've got one. It's clear. It's single-minded. It is focused. They are all about extending their kingdom. And as followers of Christ, we will never truly know unity until we're about one thing, one king, one kingdom, King Jesus. All about him and his kingdom. And that that becomes our pursuit. A few weeks ago, Rand was talking and he used his illustration about uh, his Saturday mornings turning up to play football as a kid. I, was, I think he was very young, he was speaking about, and I just saw this no little version of Ryan, no out with his wee legs, getting warmed up and all of those things. And it made me think of whenever I used to turn up on a Saturday morning for to play rugby at Grosvenor. And I'm saying Grosvenor High School because anybody that knows that when I played rugby for Grosvenor High School, well, we didn't go out with a winning attitude. There wasn't a high level of expectation. But when you turned up, you were there as a team. You get on the pitch after you survived the psychotic sort of trainer and no, the coach who got you running laps and beating lumps out of each other just to warm you up before you get onto the pitch. But when you get onto the pitch, it wasn't about who scored the try. To be honest, Grosvenor, we were just thankful anybody scored a try. <laughs> it was never about an individual. It was always about a team. And that's what it is to be unified as a church and the church of Jesus Christ. It's not about I win. It's always about we win. It's never about the individual. It's always about the team. And ultimately that team takes their win and lays it at the feet of Jesus. It's always about the one. The other thing we learn about Jesus and his father in that relationship was that it was built on truth. And there is nothing that will divide more than the lack of truth. <laughs> no, if you wake up tomorrow and think, well, oh, maybe there's many ways to heaven, it will divide the church. <laughs> if you wake up tomorrow and go, well, my version of truth is this, it will divide church. If you think, well, God's truth is good, but maybe I can influence God out of his truth into my truth, it will divide the church. Truth is essential to be together and to be one. And this truth is so well summarized here by Paul. There is one God. There is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism. There, there is one because there only is one Savior who is the only one way that you and I can be reconciled to God. There only is one. That is the truth that you and I need to contend for always. The power of one. Whenever Paul goes on to write, he talks about these gifts that are given to us and 
well, you've got gifts. Just want to throw it out there. You've got gifts. But you've also been given gifts. Now, I want you to know, and I'm going to say this. Ryan, Pastor Ryan, Pastor Stephen, we are gifts to you. Now, you may not think that, but we are. We stand here, we try to lead, we try to love in a way because Paul has made it so clear here that God has put gifts into his body, pastors, evangelists, teachers, apostles, prophets, to build up his church. We're not here to do everything. We're here to see you win. To see you succeed. To see you mature and grow up into the very face and headship of Christ. That's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge for me to think about that in my own life. Never mind thinking about it in someone else's. But we come... That's a gift. I was, again, going back to the, the rugby thing and thinking through those Saturday mornings. And, well, the one or two tries that we actually got were, were incredible. Um, and I had probably nothing to do with any of them. Um, I played a position uh, called hooker, and, um, which meant I was sort of hung around two big lumps of guys sort of swung around their necks and then I, I would go down into the scrum and well, one out of two, somebody would knee me in the face and then I just had one of those faces and you're thinking still has one of those faces and, and I would go down into the scrum we would hopefully win the ball, by the time you got out of the scrum somebody had hopefully scored a try I started to think through this and I started just to think through I wonder who on that team actually scores the most tries and I started to just work this through I was thinking well the second row anybody knows rugby you know, those guys never score tries really no, they're always just in rocks and getting murdered and mauled and unmauling and murdering that's the sort of the plan there and you think of the guy on the wing and you think yeah, you start to get the picture I actually got into this and thought, I need to look at statistics, so that's where I went. I started to look at, well, who scores the most tries? Now, which position scores the most tries on the pitch? Any ideas? Looking for feedback? Couple centers? Any, anybody want to raise that? Oh. What was that, David? Center or Center or wing. But not the hooker, not the second row. But what I realized was there were someone else involved in that game that scored even less tries than I did. And it was the coach on the sidelines. See, the coach never scores tries. But where the coach gets so excited is when his team shows up, his team plays their best, and his team wins. Now Paul is making very clear here that there are gifts to the church 
They're not about playing the game on the pitch and scoring the tries, but they get their kick out of seeing you win and walk and live up to everything that God has called you to. See, why do we get passionate at times on this platform? Why, when we're talking to you, do we try to challenge you in love? Why, why do we try to get around you and support you and have your back and all of those things? Why do we do all that stuff? It is not so that we can win. It's so that you can truly walk into the fullness of life that God has promised for us. Nothing less. See, we, when, when you win, Jesus, we read about here, who would go down and then come up. He would defeat. And in that, he would defeat death. He would defeat sin. He would defeat my death and your sin, my sin and your death. He would defeat the greatest enemy of us all. And when we read through this, and Paul is asking us to pursue unity and pursue maturity, he's reminding us that if Jesus Christ can go to the grave and defeat death, surely he can unify the church. Now think about it. If he can go from the corpse to the right-hand side of God, he can unify the church. All things are possible. But beyond all that, you see, it's not just the end of sin, the end of sickness, the end of death. It, it's the end of division, diversity. It's the end of separation. It's the end of all of these things because something new has happened and something new is possible. It's called fresh humanity. It's known as the church. And you and I are supposed to live in such a way that shows the rest of the world that there is a way that unites every person from every nation and every tribe and every tongue and every gender underneath the banner and into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That there is a different way. That's a church. That's you. That's me. There is hope. This can happen. Does anybody believe it? This can happen. This can be our reality. The people look in and go, look at that family. Look at that family of God. Look at that church. Look at how they, the global church, look at like they're all different backgrounds. They, they disagree with some things here, they, they don't, but they don't use that to divide each other. They, 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 they've all got different gifts, but they're not using that to compare with one another. They're just celebrating what God's doing. Look at that. It is so different to everything else. See, there are big conversations going on in the world at the moment. There's the conversation of capital B, capital L, capital M. Black Lives Matter. There's a conversation going on of trying to bring peace in the Middle East. There's conversations going on of trying to, how do we reunite families? How do we reunite marriages? How do we, there are so many conversations going on. But on our visuals here this morning, we put Jesus above it all. Because there is no one or nothing else but Jesus Christ who can truly reconcile this world. Nothing else. Because Jesus will always be bigger than any moment or any movement. Because he is the Alpha and Omega. He has always been and always will be. And so that's what it is. Well, for the Father and the Son, for us to emulate their relationship.
So it's to work out to maturity. We're going to come to a close. How do we look mature? Well, through works of service, that the body of Christ would be built up, that there would be unity in faith, that there would be knowledge of the Son of God, that we would be mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Mature. That's one of those words, isn't it? Mature. I, I, I don't know about you, but I was raised in a world where mature meant just boring, no life. Like, just know if you were mature, it was like, it was like, wise up and act your age and be mature. And no, it was, and it just meant, it just, it just meant everything that as a human being you knew wasn't, wasn't right. But what is it to be mature? Well, it's to take on responsibility. Not just for yourself, but for other people. That's maturity. And you can do that and have a whole lot of fun while you're at it. No, you can. Like, it's not the end of your life, it's the beginning. But maturity is actually accepting and taking on responsibility. I love the movement that we've had uh, over the church over the last 20 years. And I, I, I've been able to watch it. You know, where we've gone from feeling like we're sinners saved by grace and that if we make one mistake, God's going to come down and kill us to um, that we are covered in grace, accepted with an unconditional love and that actually we are princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. I love it. That's so much better. See, one makes me feel valued. And one makes me feel condemned. And Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He came to value us. Isn't that, that's to show us what, how much we matter. But in all of that language of how valuable you are in the kingdom of God, it's so easy to get spoilt. You know, to think to yourself, well, like I'm a prince. I'm a prince in the kingdom of God. Check me out, you know. It's so easy to get caught up in our own value without the responsibility, without the maturity. Have you ever came across spoiled kids? Now, I know you can't shout out in public what you would like to do in that arena. I would obviously like to bless them and encourage them and help them. But we do know this, that spoiled kids spoil. But mature kids seek responsibility. In any kingdom, in any responsibility, wearing any uniform, representing anyone, spoiled kids spoil, mature kids seek responsibility and maturity. Spoiled kids spoil. Mature kids represent. And you and I are called to represent God's kingdom. Can we stand together? I want us to look around the room and see a team. <laughs> 
see a team on a pitch, we've got one focus and that's to score goals for the kingdom of God, yeah? So bored in lockdown? No. Well, let's work towards like maturity, build up the body of Christ, works of service, knowledges of God, attaining the fullness of Christ. There's a whole thing we're working on, isn't there? Yeah. Um, and, and I'm saying that for myself, okay? But I want us to see a team. I don't, nobody in this room is better than anyone else. We've all got roles, we've all got gifts, we've all got skills. We've all something to bring. And see when we bring it and celebrate it in each other and actually pull out of our bag humility and patience and love and support. And The church of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. Unstoppable. The goal is ultimately to grow into the headship of Christ and that the body, the church, would match the face Jesus Christ. That's the goal. <laughs> now we've a way to go, don't we? No? Okay, so I, I have a way to go. Anybody else got a way to go? Some people at home in there, they've got a way to go. We've all got a way to go. But that's the goal, and we do it together. We do it as one, because there is power in one. Can we pray? So Father, I wanna thank you for everyone here. <laughs> I wanna thank you that you went down to bring us up. That when you went into the grave, you came out with treasure for us. You come out with gifts for us. The people in this room have got gifts. You've put stuff in us that is invaluable to the kingdom. And Father, we want to represent your kingdom well. And so we pursue peace and we pursue unity. That's just one of the practical things you write about. We pursue holiness, and we pursue, pursue unity. We, we want to live a life worthy. A life worthy. So, Father, as those who are in those offices and positions of teachers, pastors, evangelists, apostles, prophets, as they and as we seek to serve the body of Christ, I pray that the body of Christ would serve you in return. they would know that we're never looking them to serve us. No, we're looking them to serve you. And that together, we would win and celebrate the wins. We give you all the glory.
thank you that it is possible in Jesus' name.